going to talk about the promises that are always made. And, and I, I, I kept wrestling with how to start this message, and I go, okay, let's just lay it out and talk about the elephant that's in the room or the donkey, whatever party, it doesn't matter. Because where I know every day in my work, the conversation always gets back to, oh my goodness, oh goodness, what are we going to do? Oh my. And Okay, I can already hear it, your anticipatory thoughts. Is he going to talk politics? No, not to worry. Not going to talk politics. I am going to talk promises. Uh, we, hear, we are onslaught. There's an onslaught every day. We hear promises. I'll have that for you tomorrow. Okay, two weeks later. So anyway, I thought it might be fun for us to look at some campaign promises from the last, from, night, from 1840 to 1950, so we'd stay away from anything any of us are really familiar with. I thought they were great, actually. And, oh, by the way, I don't know how to use this thing. Whether I sit down or stand up, um, they asked me if I wanted to use the podium or the table and chair, and I said, I don't know. <laughs> Teresa, what should I do? I, I, I honestly don't know. So if I get up, if I sit down, I know there's bound to be a proper way to do this, but um, we'll see what happens tonight. But there are some campaign promises that I thought were pretty funny and uh, that I doubt any were ever, ever came to fruition but uh, look at the, the first one. I think there's one up on the, vote yourself a farm. Okay, I'll do that. I don't know how much actually came to fruition with that one. And then there was another one. What's the next one? If elected, I promise a chicken in every pot. Great. Where do I line up to get my chicken? Four more years of a full dinner pail. That was good. Now, now what is normalcy? I promise a return to normalcy. What does that mean? Now, here's one I thought was funny. It's not a promise, but in your heart, you know I'm right. In your guts, the other party said, well, in your guts, you know he's nuts. I, I just thought that was, I didn't even promise. I just thought it was funny. And um, is that it? Is that it? Okay, that's it. There's, uh, uh, but my favorite one, I, I, it's not up there, but it, it's, the campaign is leave well enough alone. Like that's going to happen, right? That will never happen in our government. Well, so what do we do with all these promises? Promises made and promises made and promises made and people looking and, and hoping that something good will happen. I was listening to a talk show and a gentleman came on the radio, an elderly gentleman. He said he was 80 years old and he began to cry. He didn't know what was happening with our country. 
And this is just after the shooting of the police officers in Dallas. And he, he came on and with, with some fear and trembling, he said, I've lived a good life, but I fear for my children and grandchildren. What, what's going on? What can we depend on? What? And, and the radio host said something that, I don't know, it was fine, a little comfort. I don't really remember what he said, but what I remember was what I was thinking. And I was thinking, well, what do we depend on? What can we have hope in? What are some things we can stand rock solid and what are some promises that we can believe? You know, very few of us would lay claim to have, keeping, to have kept every promise that we made. But, and there are good reasons for that. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes it's out of neglect. I remember... Uh, okay, I'm going to stand up okay, um, for a minute. I, <laughs> I remember when Lauren was uh, about this tall, and she came up to me, and she said, Hey, Dad, you're taking me home from church today. I said, Okay. So, great. We went on about, and, and I drive up. I pull up in the driveway at the house, and I go, I've forgotten something. I couldn't remember and I got out of the car, and I go, oh, my gosh. And I got back in the car, and I ran around. I mean, everybody had gone from church, and Lauren was standing out in front of the church just like this. And I go, oh, man. You know, I don't know if that put her in counseling or I don't know what, but hopefully, hopefully she's forgiven me for that. But there are promises made, promises broken, you know, if, and we tell our children sometimes those little small promises that unintentionally get broken. If you'll, look, if you'll clean your room, or probably the big one is if you'll just be quiet for 15 minutes, I promise <laughs> we'll go outside, we'll go to the pool, we'll get ice cream. And then somebody calls, and you have to do something, and you can't take them to the pool, and you can't take them to get ice cream. A small promise made, small promise broken. We grow up with that, up to the big promises, like divorce. A promise made, a promise broken. So what is the message in all this? What do we, what do, we do when we've lived a life hearing promises and witnessing broken promises, I think there's a yearning in all of our hearts for answers that no politician, no government official, no campaign slogan, no movement, no group, no one can make it better. There's a hunger, I believe, in the hearts of the people in this nation and the people of this world that cannot be filled with any speech, any symbol, or promise other than the promise of God. And if you only take away one thing tonight, take this and remember this. And and, and by the way, I apologize if the notes aren't on the app. I, I don't, I guess I'd, anyway, you'll have to do it the old-fashioned way and, and write things down. 
Write this down. Never let the broken promises you have experienced from people filter into your understanding of the promises of God. Never let the broken promises you have experienced from people filter into your understanding of the promises of God. A launching point for us tonight, uh, Psalm 121. It says, I lift my, my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The promises we hear from this world are oftentimes trite, simple, temporary, seldom lasting, but the promises of God. And there's a three things that jumped out at me as I heard this gentleman and as I read this passage. The promises of God are strong. They are dependable. They are timeless and eternal. There's another psalm, just one verse, says, as soon as I pray, you answer me. You encourage me by giving me strength. You know, there's strength in owning the promises of God rather than the promises of people. That word strength comes from, in that passage, comes from the Hebrew word that means to encourage. That means something inside of us that God builds up in us that's greater than ourselves that gives us a courage to move out, to continue on, to be who we are in Jesus Christ. There's some other translations that says, you made me bold and energized me. Another one, you made me bold and stout-hearted. You made me bold with strength in my soul. God encourages us and gives us strength. That's a promise that we can depend on, that we can stand on, that we can live with. God's promises are strong. Paul says, in my weakness, that's when I'm the strongest. It's amazing that when we've done everything we can, the world may seem to crumble around us. There's something inside us, if we know Jesus Christ, that wells up in us and gives us the ability to live life joyfully, even in the midst of some not-so-good times. There's a gentleman, you may know him, you may not, Clarence Jordan. You may have heard of him. Dr. Clarence Jordan is a Southern Baptist minister, has two PhDs, or had two PhDs, one in Hebrew and Greek, one in agriculture. He could have done anything he wanted to do, gone anywhere he wanted to go. 
but he chose to serve the poor. So in the 1940s, in southern Georgia, he started a farm called Conania Farms. It was a farm where poor people, both black and white, could come and live and work and produce. Now that didn't go over so well with the community around him, as you might imagine. Church members, community people, lived with the laws of segregation. And during that time in the 40s and in the 50s, the community did everything they could to destroy Cornelia Farms. They would boycott his businesses. They would slash the tires of the workers when they came into town. Finally, after 14 years in 1954, I guess the town had had enough. And so the Ku Klux Klan went to his farm, burned all of his crops, burned every building on the property except his home in which they riddled with bullets. They drove all the families off of the farm except for one, two. One black family and Dr. Clarence Jordan and his family. A couple of days after that, well, Dr. Jordan knew who, who the people were. You know, in, in that time, people, I'm getting off, but hoods and voices, it's just ignorant and stupid. You, if I, okay, do you know who's talking to you? You know, it's like that, right? It's, it's, but he recognized the voices, and one was a reporter who came out a couple of days later to do a story on the closing of Cornania Farms. And he found Dr. Clarence Jordan out in the field trying to make what he could out of the crops that were damaged, hoeing, tilling the soil, working up, trying to restore some of the crops. And he asked the doctor, he said, Dr. Jordan, what are you going to do now with the closing of your farm? And he went on and he didn't pay attention to the reporter. He just kept tilling the soil, kept working his crops. Finally, the reporter had enough and he says, Doctor, you, you have two PhDs. You could do anything you wanted. You chose to do this. What do you have to say about the failure of all that's around you now? There's no success here. Dr. Clarence Jordan then stopped and he turned to the reporter and he said, you don't understand, sir. I'm about as successful as the cross. We're staying. We will not be moved. And he went back to hoeing and working his crop. He didn't know what was in the future at that moment. All he knew was to stand on the strong promises of God in his most weakest moment. And out of Conania Farms, you've probably heard of Habitat for Humanity and two other organizations that provide housing for people in need all across our nation. You see, God's promises give us strength to do things that we are not even aware of at the time. In our weakest moment, 
God's promises are the strongest. So God's promises are strong, and God's promises are dependable. They're sure. God is faithful, just as he calls us to be faithful to him, and we often fail. God never fails. God is always faithful to us. And even though we know these things, it still doesn't change, and, and Isaiah even mentioned it a minute ago, it still doesn't change the fact that we worry. From time to time, worry takes control of us. It's like, the, it's like a great pastime for many people. And in fact, uh, worry may be the greatest pastime in our nation. It's like the one lady that says, I feel so bad when I feel good because I know it won't be long and I'll feel bad. Teresa laughed at that. That was the only thing. But it's not, uh, it's not that funny. I, I get it, okay? It's not that funny. But, but there's some truth in it. The bottom line is that when we, now sit down. When we shift, when we shift, here's, here's the point, is that when we shift our belief from the promises of God, to the promises of man, we have entered into the world of worry. Worry is actually a rebellion against God. Worry is actually us saying, one, either God is not present, or God is present, but is incapable of taking care of the situation that I find myself in. Do you know, and so people, and so people worry or they long for the promise, but they wait until it's broken because that's what worry does. I know something bad is going to happen. You know, over 100 diseases are directly linked to worry. And you know, you can tell when you're out of sync with God and moved into the worry of taking on the world yourself. At least I know when I'm out of sync with God, my stomach starts, I have to take, it starts getting upset. I have a stressful point, appointment or something's coming up that I don't know that I can handle. My stomach gets upset. That's how it affects me. And that's, it's not because I, I had the spicy chicken taco, that, but it's because I am trying to take things on myself. And I have this other piece right back here, my muscle that just knots up. And when that happens, that's, I think, God signaling to me, hey, what are you doing? Do you want it? I'll take it. See, God knows that everything in life will not always be rosy. It won't be pleasant. Life won't always be without pain. But it's in those times, it's in that midst when it's most difficult that God says, I'm here providing for you, taking care of your needs, 
giving you peace just as I promised, even in the midst of a turbulent season. For instance, I think the season that we're in now. Some of you may be in an individual turbulent season, but I think we, this world is in a turbulent season. Without going into great detail, you can run the list, and you know what I'm talking about, but human life seems to be losing its value. I, I, it, it baffles me. Respect for others seems to have given way to, to selfish ambition. Our moral compass has no true direction by which we can measure human dignity. Paul writes in his letter to the church at Philippi, he writes it from prison. I think the letter to the Philippians has become my most favorite book in the Bible because Paul has so much gold in there that he wrote from prison. It's amazing. He knew that while we may be waiting on the promise that God will supply our needs, in fact, in that moment, God is supplying our needs, and we can depend on him that his plans are coming to fruition. God's promises are strong. We can face anything and expect victory. God's promises are dependable, even in turbulent times. Teresa and I sat glued to the television that ominous day, March 18, 2003. That was the day that our son Justin, with thousands of other Marines, crossed into the Iraqi border as a part of Iraqi freedom. A few weeks before, I remember saying goodbye to him in Hobby Airport. Handshake, a hug, slap on the back. proud and fearful when he got on that plane there would be no more communication no texting no Facebook no tweeting no email no phone calls for weeks at best maybe months before we would hear anything from him what what we had was a need to depend on God to keep us solid, to keep us grounded. We had this great need to depend on God. And I, I've got to tell you, that was difficult. We vacillated the entire time between fear and worry and faith and knowing that God would protect us. But you know what kept us grounded? It's amazing. God is so good. One or two nights, I can't remember, the night before or, or the night before that, before they actually marched across that border, NBC Nightly News was doing a story. And they were showing a chapel service. Not a chapel, but Marines gathered around, around cots in a tent and as the camera panned, lo and behold, we saw our son. 
praying. It, it was amazing. Friends called us. Did you see Justin? I, I can't tell you anything in our life that happened in those months or in any of the three deployments that he had. I can only tell you that, that our lives, Teresa and I didn't talk about it a lot. We prayed silently for safety, for protection, and we prayed and said everything that you would be praying for as well and everything we could think of. And, and I have to confess it, in those times we vacillated. I honestly don't know how Teresa and I our daughter Lauren, Justin's young bride, Misty, successfully made it through those, that first deployment anyway, except the promise of God. Philippians 4.19 was one that we clung to, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. And then Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Friends, we can depend on God's promises. His promises are deep. His promises are sure. And then the third truth is that God's promises are eternal. Sadly, not all of Justin's comrades came home. And you can come and begin playing. Not all of Justin's comrades came home. My mother died at the young age of 74. Teresa's father tragically died at the very young age of 36. And I know some of you have lost someone way too soon and way too early. And if we put our belief in the world, the world will tell us, live while you can, experience what you can, because that's all you have. And it may say things also like good memories. Keep them in your heart. Keep them in your life. Do something that honors the person that you've lost. And some of that is true and good, but it's not complete. You see, there's so much more to this life than just this life. We are eternal people, born from an eternal God, born for an eternal purpose, with eternal promises. The Old Testament, the promises are still good today, and they will be good forever. We don't know necessarily what will happen to us tomorrow. 
but we can depend that my life in Christ Jesus will continue to grow. Even after I'm gone from this earth, I will continue to live and love and grow and develop only better because I'll be completely in the presence of God. God promises. If we don't believe that, then why did Jesus, and the pastor mentioned that last Sunday, why did Jesus die on the cross for us? We are eternal people, friends. It's an eternal promise of God. Close your eyes, if you don't mind, just for a moment. I want to read, the Bible is full of promises. I want to read just a couple of passages to you. Just let them soak into your heart. Receive them if you're feeling weak, brokenhearted, troubled. This from Isaiah, the 40th chapter. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired. Young men will fall in exhaustion, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. The first chapter of Proverbs. But all who listen to me will live in peace, untroubled by fear of harm. The New Testament, 14th chapter of John, Jesus says, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Let's stand. I guess I would close by saying the promises of people will leave you disappointed. Can't help it. We have a bent to sin. But the promises of this world, they may seem glorious for a moment, but they'll oftentimes fade away. But the promises of God, on the other hand, are strong, dependable, timeless, eternal. 